This Week in Startups is brought to you by Masterworks, the first company allowing investors exposure into the blue chip artwork asset class. Twist listeners can skip the 25,000 person waitlist by going to masterworks.io and using promo code TWIST. Squarespace. Turn your idea into a new website. Go to squarespace.com slash twist for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code TWIST to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. And Gusto. Running a startup is hard work, but thankfully Gusto makes payroll easy. They also offer flexible benefits, onboarding, and so much more. Twist listeners get three months free at gusto.com slash twist. Hey, everybody. Welcome to This Week in Startups. We've got an incredible guest. Uh, you know him as El Presidente. Everybody knows the rules. One slice. Uh, stonks only go up. Dave Portnoy is the founder of Barstool Sports, which he has been building uh, for two decades. It's another overnight success, 20 years in the making, uh, a great, great entrepreneur and an amazing like ability to get attention, Dave. Uh, you've been able to just absolutely crush it the last year or two in terms of getting attention for the brand, but I've been watching you over these 20 years. When, what was the origin story of barstool i know it was like a zine or kind of a zine or um yeah it was a newspaper it was a newspaper so it was like a four page like and then slowly to eight basically gambling rag it was uh fantasy sports and things of that nature black and white i used to hand it out outside of like subway stations outside of boston we had news racks so it was a free a free newspaper is what it started as a really a gambling rag and it's really interesting because people now don't know about you know the 90s and into the 2000s when you wanted to be an entrepreneur and you wanted to get the word out the internet was still pretty nascent and zines photocopied magazines were kind of how you started on entrepreneurship i started silicon Alley reporter in the 90s you started this uh the source was kind of like a zine paper magazine was a zine uh and you actually went and handed these out personally because you didn't have any distribution right yeah and we weren't even online it was it was purely like a physical publication um so it, you know i was interested in the gambling industry i flew out to vegas i met with casinos different companies trying to get involved in the industry and, and i and they're all like well you gotta be a dealer first and i didn't want to do that i had been working a job for four or five years at a college sales job so but they did say at the time which was like early 2000s the internet was so cluttered like if you went to a gambling website you'd see fireworks and spam ads it looked like you were getting your credit card information stolen so they actually wanted to move offline into a physical newspaper so that's why i came up with that concept our early advertisers were like party poker um online poker was just starting then um and some offshore like gambling companies so that was the genesis of it yeah and and back then there was this massive poker revolution going on people don't know but it was basically up until pre pahara the the attorney general of new york he just shut all the sites down that one friday the black friday and all the revenue from that advertising which was pouring out all over the internet was gone yeah so like i actually flew out to vegas our first advertiser was party poker it was the year chris moneymaker won that ushered in sort of the revolution but i was with like the indian software developers who like made (laughs) 
the game. So yeah, yeah they I remember it was like a twenty thousand dollar like year long contract was our first deal with them. And at some point, you start building an online presence, and it becomes more like a blog, and and it gets a lot more attention. Yeah, so it wasn't intentional. You know, I used to hand the newspapers out and people would like it in the Boston area. And I met a guy who used to take the newspaper and he was moving from Boston to New York. He's like, I love reading it. It's not online. If I build you a website, would you use it? I was like, yeah, Ah. knock yourself out if you can do it for free. His name was Ian White. He ended up being the CTO for Business Insider down the road. So smart guy um, and one of, you know, many breaks along the way that helped but once he built the website i was like oh i can just type in stuff daily like and we really kind of became a blog at the time if you're like hey we're blog people are like what is blogging like no one knew what it was but that that quickly was a way for us to grow faster than the newspaper which had the physical distribution and obviously the more you print the more cost and you need everything the website we could reach people faster easier and cheaper than we ever could before and, and the common thread was, you're a gambler. You like to place bets. You like action. What yeah. was the first moment in your life you remember your first bet? Were you doing football cheats in high school? Did you Were you, were you throwing shoes against the wall and yeah, doing dice remember, in middle school? I remember like betting a dollar on the Patriots like in the 85 Super Bowl versus the Bears. So at that <laughs> age, I'm eight years old. I was a huge Patriot fan. They were down, I, they were down like 30 to nothing at halftime. And I actually bet at halftime they come back and win. Um, they ended up losing by like a gazillion. But that I think was the first yeah, bet. Lost by that 50. I <laughs> yeah, no, they got hammered. So that was your first taste of action, eight years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I I always, my dad would take me to horse racing when I was a kid. So I I always enjoyed it. Yeah, that's a a day at the track is amazing. Like if you can make a day out of it. Yep. And I still love it. I love horse racing. I'm still heavily involved in it. Yes. We used to go out to Santa Anita track and I I grew up in Brooklyn, but when I lived in LA for a while, we go to Santa Anita. What a day that is, man. Beautiful yep. track. You, you bet all nine, 10 races. Yeah. Uh, great day out. But then podcasting video comes out and your personality starts to really blossom online and you start being like a page view machine. When did that happen when you started realizing audio video was like yeah. going to be a key driver? You know, it, it, it- I had become well known and well like entrenched in Boston and like podcasting probably so we started 2004 around 2010 maybe it wasn't even me it was one of our guys Kevin Clancy who had a podcast and and he was talking about I really didn't know what it was and I'm like yeah do it I didn't never saw to be honest the future in it he did it it went well and then um we had part of my take which was another one of our employees dan katz did it with pfd commenter and that exploded and then we started seeing you know oh there's there's money to be made here and we really did more but i personally haven't done much with podcasts our company has it's a huge podcast company and we're good at identifying talent and we have a huge network and it resonates with our demo and it resonates across all like skews you know caller daddy is like the number one female podcast part of my take which we have is number one uh sports podcast we have the number one golf podcast foreplay um so we have a lot but i personally in terms of people recognizing me through podcasts hasn't really been that why do you why do you think podcasting became so addicting and so 
uh, it just, why do you think it broke out? I mean, blogs were pretty obvious. It was so cheap to do. You don't have any editors. You can be up to the minute. But what do you think it was about podcasting? I mean, I think it's a lot the same. It, it, you know, when I started, it's always like there was a barrier to entry. Like I remember the local radio stations, they kind of thumb their nose on bloggers. It's like, oh, bloggers in their basement. But it didn't matter how talented you were. You may, if you don't get the right opportunity, you're kind of stuck. There's no way to, to get your voice out. And, you know, like Bill Simmons is an example of that. He couldn't get a job in Boston. It's like obviously a super talented guy, but if nobody gives you the opportunity, what do you do? Well, somebody like me or a lot of people, it's like, you know what? No one's going to give me an opportunity. I'm going to create my own. And if I'm talented enough, work hard enough, I'll be able to create an audience. It's really no different than podcasting. It's not expensive. And if you're talented and you have the motivation, you can do it. And if you're really good, you can find audience. And there seems to be some real significance to doing it consistently and showing up every day. That is the key, isn't it? Like if you just don't stop doing it, you build an audience. Yeah. Like, you know, the number one thing, which I always, I, I want to say bothers me, but Everybody who sends me resumes and we get a gazillion of them, as you can imagine, because like kind of a fun looking company on the outside. We cover sports, girls, girls cover guys. So like if you can't throw a baseball 97 miles per hour, what's the next best thing like here would seemingly be it. But people send resumes. I'm perfect. I want to work here. I'm made out. Give me a chance. Like yet they've done nothing. It's like you don't need me. Right. Like. Yeah, it'd be so impressive if the person just did 100 days of blogging and said, hey, I'm a big fan. For the last 100 days, I wrote 100 blog posts on the NBA on, you know, movies from the 90s. Here's my resume. Here's my body of here's my body of work as opposed to a resume. But young people are so dumb, they don't do any work. It's crazy. I don't even look at the resume and, and the people that we've ended up hiring have been much more the unique ways to get my attention, whether it's creating content. But I've always said the beauty of now, you don't need like whatever you're saying you can do with us, you can do without us. You don't need us to do it. Do it. So, um, yeah, they are idiotic in that regard. We we preach it. It's like just sending emails saying you're perfect and you're born for this does nothing. Well, you guys know all about Masterworks. If you don't, it's the first company that allows any type of investor, whether you're retail or accredited, to gain exposure into the blue chip artwork asset class. I had the founder and CEO, Scott Lynn, on the program back in July. It was episode 1087. Now, I had one question that I wanted answered during the podcast with Scott Lynn, which was, what are the signals that a young artist is going to break out and maybe appreciate? How do you know that? Because that's what I do with startups. Well, here's his answer. What gallery represents the artist? So mega galleries tend to influence artists' careers in a huge way. Um, We look at what institutions own an individual artist. So the more institutional support an artist has, we like to think the more sustainable that, that artist market or their artist career is. Um, then we also look at who who else is collecting that artist. So are major influential collectors um, buying that artist? And the, those are the three things that, that are early signals that help understand where an artist's career could go. What an amazing clip. Uh, bottom line, you can diversify your portfolio by investing in an asset class that is not correlated with the stock market. And there are 25,000 people on the wait list for masterworks.io. But if you use the promo code TWIST, T-W-I-S-T, boom, 
you get to skip the wait list. So go ahead and visit massworks.io and use the promo code TWIST. There's a bunch of disclaimers you need to read at massworks.io slash disclaimer. If you want to check out the full episode, search for episode 1087, Scott Lynn, L-Y-N-N on This Week in Startups. And you have been exceptional at scouting talent, uh, I, I guess, the, and keeping talent as well. That's the the hard thing, I guess, if they break out. You had that little kerfluffle with Call Her Daddy, uh, two really talented hosts. They obviously are just super authentic and and just crushing, mm-hmm. crushing it. it and then one of them's boyfriend decides they're gonna roll you and uh they're gonna hold a gun to your head and you broke the uh the, the backstabbers and and you and you and you i mean this is the greatest story ever i love this hardcore shit where they tried to roll you they tried to stab you in the back and then you flipped one of them tell the story of the, the <laughs> yeah, call her yeah. daddy like literally trying to like they made it they tried to kill the king you come for the king you got to kill him you can't come in halfway right yeah that was uh that was an interesting thing you know if they stayed united it would have been an ugly scene um and it would have been a he said she said and their crowd which was gigantic would not have believed anything i said even though we did have some of the receipts but it's um as you grow a common thing and and I, I'm sure I'm not the first. I've used the athlete analogy of a player. You know, if you sign a contract with the Red Sox, you can't just be like, oh, I hit 50 home runs at all-star break. I'm going to go play for the Yankees because they'll offer me more. But it's no different. You, a lot, I feel like what we dealt with, which is they were unknown talent that we found. We paid them more probably than anybody else in the world would have at that time. And they exploded more than I thought, more than they thought. And quickly, it's like, wait a minute. If we weren't with these guys, we could be making – a shit ton more and they could have they definitely could have but that's what we want for every home run we have there's 10 that don't that's how a company like us work it's very much you always hear like band disputes like you know right. someone hits it it's like now they don't like their label suddenly even though they're probably over the moon when they sign that contract so it is not a, a new phenomenon but and ironically for me, I'm always in a weird spot because I'm I'm negotiating as management, but I'm also mm. kind of talent. So it's like, well, if we're going to pay you that, that puts me actually in a, a, a stronger position. But I generally go from the management side of it and there and really the fair, like what what I didn't get in the whole caller daddy. They went from nobody's to they were each going to be multi multi millionaires if they yeah, just make it like a million dollars a year. And then one of them. Sophia, her boyfriend over at HBO is like, you're getting screwed, even though they're getting the bulk of the revenue and they're under contract and you were willing to up their deal. So you were being completely reasonable. You even gave them a path to owning the IP, which I thought was crazy. I would have never given that. I would have given like, hey, we'll do a three-way split for the IP if you put in two more years. That's it. Yeah. You gave them a path to it. Yeah. And and, and again, they kind of held us... They had it, it was an interesting situation because it was COVID and right, they're right. big revenue drivers. And we're trying, you know, to save every penny because it's tight. Advertising is disappearing, no fault of our own. But naturally, everybody's feeling it. And we have two people basically holding out. And wow. And, and we also had a situation. We would have ended up in a protracted lawsuit. Fine. They were willing to do that. They had people, whether it be, as I call them, suit man from HBO, Wondery 
scumbags they just scold for a lot but they were the where they were going i'm 99.9 percent positive willing to incur the cost of the lawsuit and again the bigger thing is the caller daddy audience at the time really didn't know who i was and mm. if they just split and said hey we're getting screwed and, and told their story it would have been like i said he said she said now people who know me know over the course of two decades for better or for worse i'm pretty honest um but their crowd would have believed them and still right. some i see believe so sophia's side of the story which is insanity but you you went over the top you were like super candid you went to the rss feed you said hey daddy's here yeah pretty and much here's and you just basically released a pot on their rss feed and you're like hey listen i offered him a half million a year this is legit cash uh and i offered him a path to owning it so dumb the call her daddy brand is making millions of dollars a year for you they try to screw you when they know you're weak that's really not cool like they're supposed to be on your side your guys are running up the hill and that you got friendly fire coming over your head from somebody who you gave the opportunity to no loyalty yeah sophia zero yeah, loyalty no. it was infuriating and then you know again oh. I, I i take things personal like i, I know it's business, very personal business, you should business. take it personal hundred percent and then but from their perspective which i occasionally try to put it's like you know is call her daddy gonna be relevant in two years mm. um and if sophia's like maybe it won't be they're trying to hit it right now right when they're hot now it's not right it's not fair we were overly fair with them i think everyone who's heard the story has been like oh my god what are these girls doing alex realized that it's like this is we have a great deal how can we not take it and then sophia um refused to so that you know so the deals are on the set. table simultaneously one person takes it one person don't Correct. doesn't that gives you the ability because i'll be totally honest i'm i don't listen to every episode of it but i've listened to a couple feels like alex was carrying the show i'll be honest she felt like she was 60 70 percent of it and you know sophia was kind of chiming in but i felt she was the true talent but she just took the deal yeah and i mean they were definitely a team i the one thing that sophia has said it's like we found them through alex like i didn't even know sophia existed and right. alex i mean sophia in the beginning was very like cool with that she's like yeah i just came along with alex this is kind of the alex's deal i'm just here because alex brought me that's really how it was in the beginning when it exploded it became way more of a team and we and they became like equal partners so anything other than that is revisionist history the only thing that makes sense on why Sophia didn't take the deal at the time is because her boyfriend, I don't know if they're still dating or what, was shopping them around. And it became like kind of mixing business and pleasure type thing. I mean, this is basically tampering, though. You, they're under a contract with you. This guy is going out and trying to get a better deal from Wondery, then getting them to, to back the lawsuit or whatever to try to get them free. This is like NBA players who are like, James Harden's like, I'm going to the club. I'm not showing up for practice. Like, you're, you're under contract it was 100 like tampering and that's why i think it would have gotten really ugly because i think there would have been a lot of accusations and lies thrown around about what forced them to leave that would have been wildly untrue i mean the other thing that's crazy is they know you're a crazy gambler you're a principled person like i mean are they not paying attention to the fact that you would rather have the entire ship burned down than get screwed right i mean that's my perception of you that is a great question and i always said once this started going down it's like i want to be in the room with this hbo guy suit man like does i i got the impression that he was the most arrogant human of all time and maybe thought it was dumb 
or an idiot. And, yeah. and I don't want to say didn't know who he was dealing with necessarily. And I don't even mean that like I'm some super genius. But what you just said, you're dealing with a very somebody who I think is very straightforward, very honest in business. But it feels he's been fucked over will be as vindictive and spiteful as anybody you'll find. That's just my nature. It's been that. I've said that I have champagne bottles on my desk with people who I feel have crossed me. You're also like a Boston guy. Like uh, growing up in Brooklyn, like we we didn't care who we got in a fight with, but getting in a fight with a, guy, a group of guys from Boston, I mean, that's just going to be chaos. I mean, yeah, right. these are guys who do not stop. You're right. It, 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 and that's a fair description. And what you just said, I would much rather the entire ship burn and i drown with it then everybody gets off the you ship steal. and survives yes I, yeah, they I can't want- steal from you you can't steal the ship ship's going down yes yes 100 exactly. I'm, I'm watching this i I'm, I'm thinking to myself if this is a made-up controversy dave portnoy is an even bigger genius than i think he is but I was like, this can't possibly be, it's too fantastic. It's, it's not a put on, right? This only shit just went down. It's not a PR strategy to create drama. I, I've heard that about a bunch of stuff. This being whatever, like that, it's a work, it's a W. It isn't, we don't do that. You know, a lot of the controversies we end up in, I, they're, I have no idea that they're going to happen. They're not planned out. Um, but we always seem to be in the mud somehow, one way or the other. Uh, and I think a lot of it is, I don't mind it. Like I don't get, uncomfortable around controversy i kind of embrace it and a part of me enjoys it like my heart gets going it's like all right this is this is why i'm doing this stuff so um no there was it was as authentic i mean how could it not be if sophia's off on her own we have alex so it, it the results clearly show it was true yeah and i'm sure like then you came over the top i love that the first episode you do when you bring it back is miley cyrus i mean that was like a super flex dunk i mean yeah, like, we're and bringing Alex it back, is, and we're bringing Miley Cyrus on to talk about hardcore, like you know, sex stuff, and, and she's more than willing to talk about her sex life on the pod. Yeah, and Alex has been great. I mean, the the pod is killing it. It's never been more popular. She's never sell, selling more merch. Um, so <laughs> you know, she came out smelling like roses, and it's been actually probably better for us. Did she get ownership of it down the road or you gave her some equity in it? We're, we're splitting it. So like Love when, it. When, if she leaves, um, which I uh, hopefully we can renew her contract. She's happy. Um, but if she does go down, it, we now are partners in it moving forward. That's fantastic. That's the, I mean, everybody wins in that. So yep. you raised money at some point uh, from uh, who Chernin, right? Like Chernin uh, Group. Yep. Yeah. And Chernin's like a former media guy. He was Rupert Murdoch's guy. He made a fund. They gave you a low poll offer, but you know, I don't know, twelve million. 12 yeah, well, the original valuation. offer was seven and a half million, and then it went up to twelve. They valued it at twelve and a half. So this is two thousand sixteen. Yeah. So, and you at the time have a couple of million in revenue, but you're throwing off a million in cash profits consistently. Yeah, at least I think it was making a million or two million profit. I mean, I we ran a very tight ship like you know there was nothing extra there was no extravagance in hindsight i like i wasn't really outside of we built the company i I wasn't a business school guy i didn't ever really anticipate taking investment so i didn't know how we get valued but i didn't care about our revenue i cared about our profit so if i went back in time knowing what i know now i could i could juiced our revenue a lot but i just didn't because you know i i was only concerned about the bottom line that was, that was my salary basically media is like the hardest business you could ever do 
you got somebody to invest in it. And then I think the brilliance of what you've done is not only did you take the opportunity of the blogs, you took the opportunity of uh, podcasting, but you actually saw pretty clearly that wagering, gambling is going to become more normalized in the United States. It's going to become more like Australia or the UK, where you go into a bar, you can place a bet. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for you, yes, you, to build a beautiful online presence and run your business flawlessly. Obviously, you can blog and publish content. You know that. Squarespace has been doing that forever. But you can promote your business and announce upcoming events or special projects. You can sell products and services. Free and secure hosting. 24-7 award-winning support. And they even have domain names you can register there. And we decided in the spring, I was like, you know what? I want to help startups who are struggling. I'm going to set up this remotedemoday.com site. Boom. I told my team, I want it up tonight. We set up the Squarespace and that was the easiest part of it. It took us longer to write the copy and do the images than it did to set up the website. And so far... RemoteDemoDay.com has been a huge hit. We've invested in six of the companies. And you know what a brand you can trust is? Squarespace. And I've trusted them for, I think, a decade now. And they've been involved in this podcast for close to a decade. Longest running partner of the podcast. And uh, I love them for it. Squarespace.com slash twist for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, please remember to use that offer code twist and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Thanks again to Squarespace for supporting this week in startups and being our longest running supporter you can on your twitter just say thanks squarespace thanks at squarespace for supporting at twi startup let's get back to this amazing episode when did you realize that that was going to be the path forward or was that just they came to you and, and well and i mean and once stuff? you know churn and i think saw that more than i did before i before ah. i did because that's always and and we kind of he wanted mike kearns who was the guy who was really the mastermind behind the original deal was very gambling focused. I wasn't as much. I knew because it was illegal. Now, when the law changed, the second mm. the law changed, I went to Erica, our CEO, and like, this is it. This is the moment for us. And we shifted 100% back into it. But I didn't know that law was going to change anytime soon. See, this is the interesting thing and it's an important lesson for we got a lot of founders listen to the pod. If you stay alive long enough, opportunities occur that you did not anticipate when you started the company, but if you're just hardworking, you run the business reasonably like you did for profit, you're not in debt, you control your destiny, something like podcasting can change your destiny, something like blogs. And then of course, this, you know, uh, I don't know, the Supreme Court said in 2018, you could do wagering, what they call it, PASPA, whatever that yeah. act was. Yeah. And it is amazing to me that the NBA, the league that was plagued by betting scandals from Michael Jordan potentially having to retire because of that. I don't know if you think that's true or not. Or to uh, Donahue, Tim Donahue, the crooked ref who was, um, he was fixing doing the over-under, right? He wasn't fixing, he was fixing no, not the was, winner of the game, but it was the over-unders. I forget. I, I just knew him as fixing games. He was fixing games. So they, all of a sudden, Adam Silver's like, we think wagering, in-game wagering is totally cool. Yeah, he was uh, at the forefront of that. And what you said, my dad used to always say that, but it's like his, ex which is, it's not his expression, but if your oars are in the water, at least you have a chance. 
<laughs> what does it mean? Your origin of order? Like if your origin, it's what you oh, just I see said. What you're saying. Yes, in terms of the business, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. No matter how bad the storm is, if you got your oars in the water, you got some control of this boat. Right. That's a yep. great line. And, and, and you don't know what's coming down the pike. You're you're there to take advantage, basically. What did your dad do? I'm curious. My attorney. He was an attorney. Yeah. What kind of lawyer did he practice? Corporate? He was like no. He was like state collection lawyer, basically. I don't know. He worked out of my basement. Uh, he wasn't some huge law firm. I'll say that. Yeah. And now, what's his take on uh, your incredible success now? This is you know, it mind? took him a while to get accustomed to it, understand it. But you know, he's proud, obviously. So he's uh, he, people know him. He's a character in our world. Um, yeah. Maybe not intentionally, but he is. And then he sees you go like uh, have this incredible exit. That's got to be mind blowing for him. To yeah, see you take so, down nine figures. I mean, that's just. That's a big it's hit. stunning. All of it's stunning. I, you know, it, it, I've been lucky, right person, right place, whatever you may be. But it, it, it's been successful, I think, beyond my, beyond my parents, beyond anybody who kind of was there, wildest dreams. And, and the humor, the irreverence, the sort of SNL plus sports coverage or man show plus sports coverage. I don't know how you like to frame it, but I, I've heard you use the SNL analogy. Yep. That is the thing that people don't understand about Barstool that sometimes gets you into hot water is people think it's ESPN when they really should be framing it as, hey, this is like a comedy central show covering sports. They're just framing you wrong, correct? Yes. So we've always said now for a long time, we consider ourselves comedy website, comedy company more than anything. And I think if you look at it under that light, a lot of the things or controversies we've been in would not be controversial at all if you think of it from a comedy perspective. So, um, yes, they there's a lot of examples. They keep trying to cancel you, and they can't cancel you. Well, and I've said that. The thing about Barstool, it's been around for so long, and yeah, I've always told this story, but I forget somebody, it was either New York Times or Wall Street Journal, reporter was doing a story on us, and, and I don't think the guy liked us. To be honest, he didn't like me, but he has a, at least he came in not liking me. I think he had a perception of what I was and what we were. And there's an article or a, a quote. It's like a lot of my friends I consider highly educated, liberal, Northeast people. And I asked, do you like Barstool? Do you like Dave? And they're like, yeah, we love it. And then he's like, how can you like this guy's like, well, we've been reading for 15 years and we know who he is. So again, a lot of the things or people who criticize us, I truly believe they really don't know anything about us. They see a quote, they see an article. And if I read some of the stuff that has been written about me, I'd be like, this guy's Hitler. But well, I mean, if no you context. think about cancel culture, like it's it's so selective that they, you could take something Howard Stern said, or you could take a, a bit from South Park, you, you take out the one sentence, you put it out there, and there's no context. And there's no room in this world for any type of comedy. And if you look at you know, brands that have existed for over 10 years, the Overton windows, it's shut so tight now yep. that if you started 17 years ago, the stuff that you did is going to just be completely different than the absolute mental breakdown that people are having online at anybody making a joke that has in any way to do with gender or race or class or education or any of that. I mean, you can't make any jokes anymore. And then it's so weird how South Park is allowed to exist and be completely irreverent, but then something like Barstool makes a joke and we got to try to cancel Dave and shut the company down. Yeah, it's crazy how that is. I've another thing. It's like I feel like sometimes the people don't like me. It's like they act. It's like if you go to a comedy club, 
you hear a joke, you run out into the street. You didn't buy a ticket for the show. You don't like the comedian. You run into the street and you'll be like, you'll never believe what this guy said, but you don't mention that it was in a comedy show and or any of it. You just say, look what this guy said. So yeah, it, it, the, like the South Park example, I don't, for example, a lot of people hate me love the office the tv show michael scott right. uh obviously made character steve Carell. is like we wouldn't be able to do it now people would go bananas over it it is interesting and i noticed that a lot how the people don't like me but then you know like larry david i i once wrote a blog i'm 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 bringing back the word like I, that was a long time ago that i wrote that blog yes. but there's an entire episode of curb your enthusiasm about that exact it was after that's funny but when i wrote it even though it was meant to be funny it's like oh look at this guy so it's just you know what do you well, gonna do? it's so weird it's like <laughs> if you go to london you'll hear the word 50 times you know a night when you're out uh being said by women men the bartender <laughs> everybody and, and we're in this very weird moment where people are hurt by words and they are I mean, I don't know how much of this has to do with just Twitter, but you're pretty active on Twitter. My God, people are just so sensitive to anything you say. You get somehow invited to go interview the president, who also is uh, a bit irreverent. And I think part of the reason he got in office, I don't know if you agree, is people kind of looked at him as like the anti-politically correct. Stop telling us we're idiots. We're going to show you liberals. Hey, we, we can be irreverent and not give a shit. Um, how did you wind up the, did like Jared Kushner or Ivanka just text you? How do you wind up interviewing the president? So I was in Nantucket. It was a Wednesday around probably one, one o'clock. And one, a guy who works here is like, uh, the president Trump wants you to come interview him in the Rose garden tomorrow. And I actually didn't think it was going to happen. I was like, first of all, I was like, what are you talking about? I don't interview people. Um, what are you talking about? But then a couple hours went by and they confirmed it. Like, yeah, they wanted to do it. And, you know, he was obviously trying to get different demos at that time. So next thing you know, I'm there doing it, even though I've never conducted an interview in my life. And you, you did a solid job and you got a suit on. You suited up. Yeah. Did you have the suit already in the closet or did you have to just make like a run to men's warehouse? Somebody went into my apartment in New York and brought it. So uh, they <laughs> met me in D.C. And is he a fan of yours? He, I mean, he's obviously addicted to Twitter. He's he must be on Twitter five hours a day and golfing for four. I don't know that he was a fan. Uh, junior is Donald Trump. Junior is definitely a fan. I had talked with him in the past. I don't know that Donald was. Yeah, that I, I found that incredible. Now you start trading stocks, sports betting stops, and it's very interesting. We, I invested in a company, Robinhood, which had just. Yep. You know, um, their their idea was to get millennials to invest. And they spend whatever, three or four years working on this. Slowly millennials, young people are starting to invest. That was kind of the premise of the entire company is someday millennials and uh, will get off their parents' Netflix account. They'll get an apartment and then they'll want to buy stocks. Sure. We have this crazy pandemic. And then one day I wake up and I see you day trading. And I'm like, oh my God, it's fucking genius. He's actually like talking about his trades. Saying what his bankroll is, three milli. He's going up and down five hundred. Then I see on CNBC, yeah, yeah. and I'm like, "Oh, this is so brilliant." You probably inspired low millions of people. I would say a couple of million people to join Robinhood and other services. What? Why did you? What even gave you that inclination? That hey, fuck it, I can't bet on sports. I, I should just pick some stocks. Yeah. So I mean, I was. I again, I'm a gambler by nature. Sports went away. 
I thought it would be interesting to try it. What we're good at is identifying, I think, something that resonates quickly. So I never dreamed it would turn into what it did. But almost like when I used to do pizza reviews starting, it's like, okay, instantly there's something here. Like I can tell it's resonating. I can tell I'm attracting audience. I can tell people are interested. And then when we do it, we do it full. So it became an everyday thing. I mean, I got the logo up here. <laughs> it There's a lot of aspects to the bar stool that if you told me this was going to happen, like a year ago, Dave, you're going to become the most talked about guy on Wall Street. I'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, I've never traded a stock in your life. I don't know much about it. Uh, and, and again, we're good at, I, I have, a, or we barstool a sense of, okay, how, how do we play this? Because like the Warren Buffett, when I said he was old and, you know, I'm the new captain now, that was a joke on the stream. Like I was right about airlines. So the, the genesis of that, I decided I was going to go all in on airlines and they, it, it, they were getting murdered. Um, and after I did this whole speech about doing it, like 10 minutes later, Warren Buffett is like, I'm out on the airlines. I mean, <laughs> the timing was impeccable. I said, I go all in. He said, I'm out. So it was so obvious, like uh, to see what happened in the second it happened, airlines skyrocketed and he looked like an idiot in that regard. I look smart, but I was just kind of, you know, I know Warren Buffett is a legend of the game, but I rant and rave on these DDT streams but it's towards our audience, but like business insider and all these other publications took the quote yes. and they're tweeting it out and they're running with it. And that's Hilarious. like raw meat in front of me. It's like, okay, I'm going to start having fun with this and bang, it just exploded. And, and, and people still don't get that you're having fun that it's, there's some amount of comedy here. I'm watching the thing. I'm becoming addicted to watching you trade because I just thought it's hilarious. And you're like, Oh, there's a deer. Outside yeah. my thing, I'm going to buy John Deere. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. if anybody needed any indication that you're not giving them stock advice, it's that you just bought John Deere because there's a deer outside your Literally. room. Literally, I mean, criticizing I, you like I, I, you're, you're a bad influence. Things. I mean, I, I'm going flipping coin. Yet, there's people, you look at these investment people and they're losing their minds on these shows about me. And, and what's really probably killing them is I've been hundred percent right. So I've been doing it because I just keep saying stocks go up and they stocks go up. We all know this. They have gone up since I've been doing this while they've been sitting on the sidelines saying gloom and doom for since March. I mean, it's been a long time now. It, it, yeah. It's amazing how tweaked they got that you were just saying stocks go up when the entire concept of wall street is if you hold stocks long enough, they go up. Correct. I mean, it's literally, the premise of all financial money managers, you have some equities and that equities go up 7% every year on average and just don't sell when they're down and you're having fun with it. I looked at it and said, this is fucking fantastic. Young people who have no financial literacy are going to open up a trading account and they're going to figure out what options are and puts are and just what stocks are. So you're basically doing the financial education that parents didn't do with their kids couple million people get onto Robinhood or whatever app they want to use. 2020 has proven to be a year of many things and 2021 is the year you are going to switch to a better payroll program and Gusto is 
the way to do that. Gusto wasn't just built for small businesses. It was built for the people behind them. And their online payroll is so easy to use. We use it. It can automatically calculate your paychecks and file all of your payroll taxes. Three out of four customers say they run payroll in 10 minutes or less, which means you'll have more time to run your business. Heidi, who runs HR here at launch, says Gusto frees her up to do more business critical tasks like running our syndicate, as an example. Plus, they offer unlimited payrolls for one monthly price. There's no hidden fees, and Gusto can also help with time tracking, health insurance, 401ks, onboarding, commuter benefits, offer letters, and... Of course, they provide access to HR experts and have tremendous customer support. If you're moving from one provider to another, they can transfer all your data for you. And it's no surprise that 94% of customers are likely to recommend Gusto. Here's the best part. Because you're a Twist listener, you'll get three months totally free. That's right. Twist listeners, three months free. Just go to Gusto.com slash twist. G-U-S-T-O dot com slash twist. Again, that's Gusto.com slash twist. I'm telling you, you're going to love it. Get started today, right now by going to gusto.com slash twist. Why didn't you make Barstool Finance? I mean, this would be like the, I mean, you have the the DDTG brand, but yep. I mean, this feels like a category that you could keep going all into. And there are so many endemic advertisers and it's never going to end. The number of public companies because of SPACs are going through the roof. I mean, this could be like a whole second chapter of the of the of the empire here. Yeah, so it's definitely something that we've given a lot of thought about, and, and I think we will be involved in in the coming months. You have to. I mean, if you just think about the bar stool. Yeah. You got sports, finance, and sex. Yep. I mean, think about what people like. I mean, the only thing you got to add is like you could add. I mean, vice was kind of drugs, and then there's food. There's really only two things left in that, that would build out the empire. Yeah, and I mean, I'm heavily involved in food. Oh, you can say drugs. Yeah, I'm no, heavily no, involved food. in drugs no, and no, food. No, no, no. <laughs> no I mean, the pizza reviews are hilarious. I mean, I think that actually is the number one thing people know me by, to be totally honest. You've done like a thousand of them now or 700 or something? And it's like, oh, you know, I never know who's going to come up to me and say hello and That's why the best part. come up to me. Like, are they like... Oh, you're the guy Star Barcelona. They respect the entrepreneur. Are they Robin Hood guy? Are they uh, sports guy? Patriots? Are they, or are they like now? I guess a TikTok guy. Are they pizza? It's just I never know. It, nothing too crazy has happened. Um, I saw the episode where the guy had the truck that was like three times bigger, and you were goofing on him and breaking his jobs. Oh yeah, that was yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Yep. But you. You basically, do you do like five of those in a row? I'm, I'm just curious of the mechanics of how you actually get these in. Yeah, it varies. Like, all, uh, the longer it's gone on, the more we will stack multiple in a day because we have to travel so far to find places. Yes. I've done everything around me. Um, but it used to be literally one a day, but there was a lot more. But I've done so many in my general vicinity that, and I've been in Philly a lot. So if I'm on the road, I stack them. If I'm in the office... Like today, I did one. There's a new place that opened, so I just did one. But it really mm. varies. And, and you're dabbling in cheesesteaks now. Uh, for Philly, yeah. For Philly. Uh, cheesesteaks are overrated. They're heavy. And they're great, but they're, you can't eat it. Like pizza, I'll never get sick of. I feel okay after I have a slice. A cheesesteak is heavy. 
I mean, you, there's going to be eight hours of pain and suffering after a cheesesteak. There's a lot. There's a lot. There's it takes a lot to be eating. And I, I you know, the cheesesteak, people love the food reviews. I know they kill. We're in Philadelphia for the gambling app. It g- generates a tremendous amount of buzz when I go to popular places. Everyone wants to see it. Everyone likes to talk about their favorite food. So it makes sense. Uh, another great moment in El Presidente history. Uh, you told everybody like the unions can go fuck themselves, whatever. <laughs> like, uh, and all these media companies. Uh, my friend Jim Bankoff's company, uh, who bought my company, Weblogs Inc., the blog company at AOL. Then he went out and took the Engadget team and started uh, Vox. He got unionized, and then they had to lay everybody off and the union had no recourse they were just like yeah they didn't even consult with us they just laid everybody off the idea of starting a union in a media company when the media industry is circling the drain and being just hemorrhaging jobs and their advertising is completely getting screwed and going to facebook and google is insane yeah Uh, so i got in a lot of trouble for that on something that was clearly and i mean clearly a joke there was truth to it but then like the people here who we treat very well we haven't had layoffs they were like trying to troll the union people by like sending fake emails to be like hey how can you help us and we were all in on it but that became like a huge story like we were getting federal agencies sending us like letters and i think the end of this thing was i had to like send an email to the company being like i was just joking like that was the literally you have to explain the joke now you're right Uh, for real and and of course you know there's some politicians tried to use it as a way to garner like publicity for themselves it's crazy basically my analogy on it it would be like if uh you know well they do but like you don't if you're talented in our business if i don't pay you what you want you should theoretically be able to go get a job somewhere else because you're talented. You need it. If they won't pay you what you want and I won't pay you what you want, you're probably getting paid what you deserve. We're not talking about putting, you know, bolts in a car where you can, you know, get a monkey to do it and you can pay the monkey. Nothing. We're talking about talent business. The It's pretty straightforward in how you get paid. It's a free market and you have massive competition as the caller daddy kerfuffle showed exactly there i mean the idea that you're going to unionize a bunch of people who are making a massive amount of money if they are talented making hundreds of thousands of dollars years what is the union going to even do for those people right those people have agents what was, managers exactly and they do and what was lost on this there was never any talk about unionizing here it was like a joke it actually was because gawker unionized i hate that spin and it's like they were struggling going down the drain and it was like the two things in my head is like the company that nobody's reading and can't get advertising and doesn't have talented people is unionizing when the company that's actually very successful and has talented people and are paying people as talented people we're not talking about it and we're successful because we're paying the talented people so like that dynamic is kind of what i was making fun of and and it's a scary insane dynamic right now you have a group of young people who actually believe socialism and being given free stuff is better than having a free market and being able to have unlimited upside. I mean, I, you feel like you're a Gen Xer to me. I don't know how old you are, but yeah, yeah, born in seventies. I'm forty three, but that okay. That element always fundamentally, like I didn't get here by accident. I worked my ass off. Like, I didn't take a vacation day for ten years, like every day, and there was no guarantee. 
and I worked, I didn't have any money. Like I, I literally had nothing forever. I couldn't afford a hamburger and we pay pretty well. And now you're going to like, tell me how I got to like treat my employees. It was like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Th- there's a very weird, I think a lot of this has to do. I don't know if you agree, but our generation, I don't know if you went, did you go to college? I did. Where'd you go? Michigan. Okay. Did you go like horribly into debt? Going to no, Michigan? I was lucky. I was lucky enough. My parents helped me with the education. See, I think this next generation, they all thought you go to college, you get a hundred thousand dollar a year job. So fuck it. I'll take out a hundred thousand in loans or two hundred thousand in loans. Now they got some liberal arts degree. They can't get a job or they get a job right. for 40 grand. And they're like, okay, the system's rigged. Everything needs to be free. Capitalism is broken. When in fact, capitalism has never been more vibrant. Right. And, and the union thing, and I always said, it, it's like, I'm not fundamentally opposed to unions. I think there are some industries that 100% need unions. I don't think we're one of them. So, you know, the, I'd have, I'd have union people getting very mad at me in jobs and industries. Like if you're a fucking coal miner, yeah, you probably needed like unions and things like that. And there's some that do. We don't. We're a talent business. The mm. talent rises and gets paid, and, and they hold us hostage, if anything. What is the secret, you think, to finding emerging talent and why you've been so good at it? Well, we had a is big it the advantage. nurturing? Is it the identifying? You know, yeah, it's a combo. We had a big advantage in the beginning because I would hire anybody. I don't care what your degree was. I don't care if you went to college. I didn't care anything. Like our people did not have, you know, network or comedy backgrounds, but nobody would hire you if you didn't. I would. So I had people that nobody that I'm like, oh, this guy's super funny, but it didn't. No one else would give him a shot. I would. Um, and then I always said when Chernin did the deal, I'm like, my goal is that every college graduate who thinks they're very funny or not even a college graduate, but everyone who used to apply to Saturday night live or maybe like, um, in the old days, I'm drawing a Yeah. Point. What's the, yeah. What was that? Uh, Harvard magazine, national lampoon, national lampoon. Yeah. So and now mad magazine, that kind of genre. Correct. Like now we get the resumes and we do. So we have an immense pool of talent to pick from. And, you know, we're kind of like the first, we're like, I, I, a lot of times I say we're like the oldest digital media company. Like we started almost 20 years ago. We're just different than the established people, but we're big enough where we have this reputation and we can get, we just have a lot of people who want to work for us. And we're pretty good at, you know, giving people shots and some work, some don't. Um, and we let people just do what they want. Like call her daddy. I saw it. I was like, this could work, may not work. Here you go run with it, see what happens. And that's kind of how we work there. You, this is as entrepreneurial a company within it as you'll find. Yeah. And the secret is based on your being open to new talent and giving them some amount of freedom to pursue their vision. That's the combination, which means you can make some crummy content. You can make stuff that sucks, right? Yep. But you only need to have one thing become a winner out of 10. And, and like, I'm not, I, not everything I think is great or bad works or doesn't work. The beauty of what we're in is kind of the internet. Like the results speak for themselves. We're a big enough platform. We have a big enough hose and anything new will market. If people like it, it works. It takes off. People give it the chance. And so the market tells us whether it works or not. Uh, Penn stock has gone through the roof. 
I think it maybe it's gone five or six X since you guys merged. Is that about right? Yeah. So I mean, today was a huge day for it. Actually, it was up nine percent. So it's at seventy eight eighty five right now. Oh my lord! Yeah, it was at twenty six when we did the deal. Then when COVID hit, it went all the way down to five. I wish. Oh my I god, that's a gut check, huh? So you you got a hundred hundred million in paper, and it goes down. 80%. I got half like that. So I yeah. did get cash, half equity, okay. half cash. Um, but yeah, I mean, at first, that's a gut check. Oof. Yeah. It, it's one of those things. It sucked, but I, I'm able to compartmentalize. It's like COVID hit. It's like what, I mean, there's nothing. I get much more frustrated when I feel like I had control or I screwed something up. Um, yeah. But the, the, the company that just bought me a casino company, their casinos got shut down. It's like, what, it th- through no fault of anybody. So it's a bad beat. You know, yeah. You, you just you got your money in good. Right. And uh, you, you flopped your exactly. Seat and somebody exactly. hit on a runner. Like, exactly. You take that situation every day. Exactly. Uh, and I can I run that, That's fine with me. That, that <laughs> now my, my biggest regret, and I didn't know the deal was really new. Like when that stock was tanking, like I didn't know it's like, could Penn go out of business? I really had no idea. And it's not like they're telling me. I wish I bought a ton of stock at five. Obviously, I didn't. Yeah. I think everybody probably does. But well, I mean, here's the thing: when you're so concentrated, it does fuck up your bankroll strategy. Right. I had the same thing with Uber. I had so much Uber that it became ninety five percent of my net worth. You had so much Barstool becomes ninety five percent of your net worth. I'm assuming or something like that. Yep. At some point, you got to take some chips off the table and buy a house in you know Nantucket yep. or something, and not and be able to sleep at night, not you know going through these whipsaws. But concentration is also how you generate wealth. And man, watching Uber go down to fifteen dollars a share was—I mean, I felt like I was going to puke. That was—I mean—I think a big question people had when we did and why other companies may not have done the deal, which Penn did, is they didn't know how Wall Street would react to us. I was as confident because like generally finance likes Barstool. They're like similar type people, whatever. Of course. But once we did that deal, Wall Street reacted very positively. It went from 26 to 40 quickly. And then COVID hit and everything went, you know, a hell in a handbag, but obviously it has rebounded and rebounded in a, a kind of astounding manner so far. What do you, what's your best take on, I mean, it's pretty obvious that, I don't know if you saw Biden said today, first hundred days, a million vaccines a day uh, is what is going to be deployed. That's a hundred million, hundred million people already have it. That puts us at 200 out of 300 plus a million Americans are basically going to be there something like April 1st. This thing's basically going to be done. It'd be in the rearview mirror. Anybody who dies from it will be somebody who didn't get the vaccine or is incredibly old and incredibly unlucky or something. Yep. So you, do you believe in some sort of this permanent reset and the great reset? Or do you believe roaring 20s? Do you think people are going to go fucking crazy YOLO and EDC and Coachella and Burning Man are going to have twice as many people on people going to lose their shit and go crazy? Or Yes, go yeah. crazy. They're already going crazy. I, I mean, I, I've been in Miami. I go to Miami in the weekends. Um, and, you know, you may not know that COVID's even around. They're just YOLO. Fuck it. No masks. I mean, there, there's restrictions. So the, they're limited capacity. But, you know, I've had COVID. And I must uh, assume at this point that the antibodies are still inside of me. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like I'm not getting it again and it, you're in crowds. I mean, you are in crowds there. What was it like? Did you, was it hard COVID or you just wrote it out? No, for me, well, I, I believe I've had it twice. I only officially got diagnosed once I had it in March and well, I thought I did because I'd never been sick in the manner I was, which was 
gassed. Like I couldn't get out of bed, sweaty, and I was achy, but I didn't lose sense of smell. I wasn't like stuffed mm. up where it's like I can't breathe. And then I got it again in August, same exact symptoms. This time I got tested and I did have it. Um, but it, it just felt like almost I've never had mono, but I feel like that's how t- tired you are with mono. Um and I get wiped out at night, but I was never nervous, so to speak. Like, oh, I can't breathe. Yeah, I mean, at the when we do the post mortem on this thing, we're going to see young people got it and ma- got a mass. There were a massive number of cases, small amount of deaths, and then just terrible. I mean, people I, over sixty five die from it. Yeah, I look at sports, which you know they didn't want to do, and they're they're forcing it to do it, but. College football, college basketball, NFL, lots of people are getting it. Nobody, you don't hear anybody being like seriously ill because they're young, healthy people. And for the most part, you can say what you want. There's rare examples in everything. It doesn't matter if it's the flu, like something can, you know, uniquely affect somebody. But if you're young and healthy, it's a cold. Like that really seems to be what it is. I believe that. Um, I, I am firmly against restaurants being shut down. I think, you know, livelihoods are going to be lost. They're talking about shutting them down for good. I think indoor, not good, but indoor again in New York. It's like there is no comeback. You have to let small businesses, restaurants control their own fate. And if you are worried about COVID or you're old and immunity impaired, stay inside for the next six months, get the, Get yeah. the show. I get think it's going to be three months. I got to be honest. I mean, they're doing Whatever. 40 million shots this month, 50 million next month, 60 yes. million in February. And we're going to be like on the going to catch it in your house if you don't go outside. Yeah, it's impossible. What, what What's the story? You got like a couple of years left. You're obviously deep in this uh, pen gaming stock. So there's a good, they got, they, they got a good reason to keep you around because you're tied to it. You got a lot of equity. But I assume at some point this deal runs out you do you thinking about because you're you're young you're 43 people tend to do their best work in their late 40s or early 50s that seems to be when entrepreneurs are dialed in the most do you have a, another so, thing you no, do in your I'm life so, you want to make movies you want to retire to nantucket what do you want to do i'm so focused on pen so the pen deal is going to be about a year in january i signed a five-year deal um mm-hmm. and you know i said this on a different podcast one of ours earlier when when you pay what i feel is like a good price and, and you you do a partnership with me and, and you get me like i don't have asset you're gonna get everything i got full speed and pen did that pen we named our price pen said yes and it really is all i think about all the time i'm, I'm so far from you know what it'll look like when that contract is done i'm just like how do i basically destroy everybody that is my mindset right now is just how do i destroy everybody you're wartime ceo right now yes. who's on the shit list right now you i mean you look at espn and say you got to beat them or i mean you're obviously you dominated know, there deadspin yeah that they're dead deadspin's that, out but that's kind of like beating like the jv team it's not yes it's, it's not that it's, it's very clear for the first time in my career very clear competitors there are the other gambling companies and there's lots of them you know the fandals the DraftKings. I don't hate them like I hated Deadspin because they haven't made it personal, but I hate them as, you know, an athlete hates the Red Sox Yankees. It's like we have to be. Did they make a run at you? They try to buy you or no? We met with everybody and they both passed. Really? You you're using a banker, using Allen and Company or somebody? Uh, we were using a banker, Molus. Uh, so the banker takes you around 
and they're just like with the exception the bank or the one company they didn't introduce us to was actually Penn. huh yeah great great job they are near three <laughs> percent these guys are a couple million bucks and you and you brought the buyer to the table yeah. but those guys just didn't want the presidente bull in the china shop they just you don't know, want I don't know level of it. personality in the brand I, I don't think that was it. What I believe it was is we work with like FanDuel and DraftKings forever. I know them very well. I know them. They spent a lot of money with you, right? They did over the years. And maybe the effects started to wane because we we were working with like five, Uh, You brought them as many customers as you could. And we were working with five, six, seven different gambling companies by the end Mm -hmm. of it. So it's like our energy wasn't focused how it was fo- like once Penn came in, it's like for the first time, everybody in the company was focused. All right, we're now Penn and that's it. It's a very different vibe, a different, de- different type of like pitch. I'd never endorsed anything like that. So I think they underestimated what would happen when we had skin in the game, basically. What, what's your favorite thing to bet on? Is it sports? Is it blackjack, poker? What do I you love like? horses and football. Har- horses and football. But, yep. And no table games? You go to Vegas, you know? You go- I like table games, but not nearly like the others. Like, I can uh, get up blackjack. I can take it or leave it. I mean, I enjoy it, but nothing like the others. What's, what's, the, uh, what's the better rush? Just running the table and, and winning a bunch or coming back from being stuck? Coming back from being stuck. See, I 100% agree. And I, people, you, this is how I know if somebody's a true degenerate gambler and they love it. Because when you're stuck 50 dimes or 25 dimes and you got to crawl your way back and you're stuck only two, or you're stuck, you're stuck 50 and, you're, and you get back to stuck five or you're plus two, that's yep. the best feeling in the world. It's better than just running the table being up 50. No different than sports. You remember your losses a lot more than your wins. It's like yeah. losing is harder. Yeah. You have, what's the worst? beat you ever got where you stared at the ceiling couldn't sleep grind your teeth i mean how the fuck did i do this wow this is, i'm never time. gonna gamble again yeah i mean there's two recent there was the packers eagles the hail mary to end the game and then they went for two for the eagles to cover and then uh the the bills cardinals the hail mary to end that one i had the bills uh money line i had the bills everywhere so two i mean i lost in two hail marys already this year and what is that like? You're doing 20... 100 grand swings. 100 grand swings. So that, that'll keep you up for a night or two. Yeah. As somebody who went through uh, getting a couple of life-changing uh, you know, deposits in their bank account, have you modulated and given yourself some limits as to gambling? Because your net worth goes up and then you, we both know once you start betting at that level, you can't go back down. Correct. Right. You got to get the rush. And if the amount money doesn't matter, the rush, does, you don't get the rush. What's the even right. point? So what doing are you doing it? in terms of like bankroll management? You, 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 you got some limits for yourself or do you think you yeah, have a chance you know, that you can hit the always, risk of ruin? Yeah, no, I've always been enough where it's like, okay, I, I can't, I got to take a break because I, I won't be comfortable losing anymore. It, it's more feel, but I've always been okay with that. Right. Yeah. Th- you, you can, not chase it correct i mean i chase it and then to the point like okay enough like uh, you know what I, I lost what i can lose i'm uncomfortable and miserable about it but it's not going to change my life on a scale of one to uncut gems where do you put yourself in degeneracy i mean uncut gems like, would be like uh, like a three a three okay so you're nowhere near no well he like, killed himself yeah. i know well, i mean was this the greatest 
movie ever. The only thing about it, and we've had the producers or whoever on it, nobody bets a three-team parlay for that amount of money on the tip of a basketball game. No, of course not. That drove me not for like what's supposed to be realistic. Like nobody does that. No, I mean, much simpler if he was just betting, you know, straight. Correct. Yes. But I mean, he, he played the degeneracy. So I thought Adam Sandler is got two great performances in a career. That one. And I hate all his other stupid movies when he plays like knuckleheads. Yeah. But I don't know. You ever see funny people? No, actually I haven't. You have to see funny people. It's basically him playing himself. It's someone the loneliness. What's that? Is Selma Gomez in that? No. Uh, Funny People is like that whole... uh, Who's that guy who produces all those movies? Judd Apatow. It's one of those Judd Apatow movies. Oh, Apatow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But it is... When he got, when he when when he's serious, he, Adam Sandler is funny. Like in in both of these roles, he killed it. Listen, I mean, I um, like some of his other movies. I like like Happy Madison, and I like um, the, what yeah. was the other one? There's Those are the ones, ones I can't, can't pop. With. They're, They're just, just like, like oh, Happy Madison's funny. I like Happy Madison. Yeah. It's a cult classic, and I like the um, when he goes back to uh, yeah, he's got to go to the school. He's got to like graduate. Happy <laughs> Gilmore, like, excuse me. Well, Happy it's Happy Gilmore. Madison, Happy Gilmore, and then there's one more that I can't remember the name. He's a cool cat. Billy Madison. I met I'm, we our kids were in the same when I lived in LA. Our daughter, our daughters, or I don't know, it's his daughter, whatever, in the same gymnastics class. And he just walked over to me at one point and he says, Hey, I look at them, they're doing good. And I was like, Yeah, they're doing great. How you doing? Whatever, just like completely normal, cool person. You're famous now. You you got a bunch of upgraded new famous friends, or are you still just with your squad? I'm pretty much still with eh. I I'm still with my squad, but i I definitely have the like like I said, I was in Miami. I've become friends with, you know, Pitbull. Guys. Who? Pitbull, A Rod? No, not Pitbull. Much more like the nightlife guys. So I went from like having to spend a shit ton of money to get like a table at a club to like just calling up and being able to walk in and sit down that's at a, a nice, club and not have to pay for it and shit like that. That's nice when you don't have to drop five k on a on a table. Yeah, they just they just and put five k in Miami is getting you like in the coat room, so it's very nice. Oh, really? Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> It, it's crazy how bottle service happened. I remember in New York when it tipped over. New York, it used to be in the 90s, you got into places because you were cool. Limelight, Palladium, Tunnel, whatever. And then I remember Marquis and uh, Bungalow 8 started doing bottle service. And you get to the door and they're like, how many bottles do you want? I'm like, well, I don't know. I just drink a glass of champagne. Give me a bottle of champagne. All of a sudden, you got 600 bucks. Then it went $6,000. Yeah, it's crazy. That stuff, I mean, you're not getting Ruined out of there it. for a good table for like 15, 20 grand a night in Miami. Really? Yeah, really. That is dumb. Are you going to go down there and live there and get out of the New York tax craziness? Or No, I can't. I got to work here. Hmm. I don't know that I would ever want to live in Miami. If I could live somewhere, taxes, regardless, I'd just live in Nantucket in the summers. That's oh, so great. Nantucket's the best. All right, listen, I appreciate you coming on the pod. Continued success. I love watching. I love everything you do. I think it's hilarious. Everybody knows the rule. One slice, uh, one bite. But then you take four bites. That's my favorite part of it. I just entrepreneur to entrepreneur. It's been great to see, uh, you know, somebody win after being at it for 17 years. Congratulations on that. And uh, keep making great content and breaking people's chops. It's hilarious. Thank you. I appreciate it. it.